0: Good to have you here three and out on this Thursday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, thanks for making us a part of your day. So much to get you here on the show. Dave Choate, the Falcoholic, will join us here in our number one as Falcons and Patriots uh, tonight. We'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. Also, uh, Alex Vayar of uh, the Salt Lake Tribune covers the BYU Cougars. uh, There for the Salt Lake Tribune. He'll join us, BYU, highest-ranked team, to come into Paulson Stadium, uh, and that will happen on Saturday. So he'll join us coming up in just a little bit. We'll also hear from Lawton Swan, Clemson Sports Talk, and Autry Denson, former Notre Dame running back and current Charleston Southern head football coach. They play Georgia coming up on Saturday at noon. So we'll hear from him coming up in just a little bit. But fellas, tonight the Falcons four and five, trying to get back to five hundred against the Patriots, who are six and four. Falcons, of course. It's for pride, man. You got beat 43-3, to which in the NFL, a league set up for parity, a league set up for uh, even play. uh, That ain't supposed to happen, needless to say. One of the worst offensive performances in the last 15 years last week, and now you got a short week. How big is tonight, fellas, for Atlanta against a hot New England Patriots team? Man, I think you have to bounce back. I mean, 43-3, to
1: like you said, that, that that doesn't happen very often in the National Football League. And I think you you had a game where everything went wrong. You had a game where you really struggled, all facets. You've got to bounce back at home, prime time, Bill Belichick and the Patriots in town. Tough challenge. I mean, the Patriots have not yet lost on the road. Uh, but I think this is an opportunity for you to bounce back. What's amazing is, for all the Falcons' struggles, if you win tonight, you're 500. You're 500, and if you're 500, you're at least in the mix potentially for a wild card spot. So, last weekend against Dallas was—I I think you have to just move on and not even think about it because it was such a bad performance. You hit the reset button, Ben. I know you've said time and time again: one week has nothing to do with the next. Week you move on and you start with the country watching to play better and to play up to your potential and that's not just talking about the offensive line or the edge rushers or the secondary this is this is everybody everybody has a chance to bounce back if you win there's a big difference in 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 five and five and four and six a big difference and I think you've got to bring it tonight against the Patriots
2: this uh, this Falcons team got to understand that this this is uh, this is pro sports pro sports is finding a way to get to dig yourself out of this whole and get a win. The hardest thing to do in, uh, in, in sports is to win. The, the uh, even harder thing, Kevin and BJ do, is to win consistently. Well, right now, the Falcons aren't doing it either. And when you think about it, okay, the Falcons aren't the most talented team, top, top to bottom. The Falcons have a uh, New England Pages team led by a rookie quarterback who's playing extremely well right now because the team around him is playing extremely well. I, w- I want to say this right <clears throat> Cordero Patterson hopefully can play tonight because he's going to get at least. I don't know three or four days off to get himself back healthy, but we talk so much about what the offense doesn't do. Retooled offensive line, Kyle Pitts, No Ridley, Cordero Patterson, Mike Davis. You know we never talk about the defense because what if what if the offense does play well, Kevin, BJ? What if they do put up points? Do you feel confident that this defense can keep uh, this young, this uh, Mac Jones and that New England Patriots offense out the end zone because? We don't even mention Deion Jones anymore. Pro Bowler, by the way. Grady Jarrett doesn't have help. A.J. Terrell is one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. But they can't keep teams out the end zone. So if Atlanta does come out and play well, put up points, stand, stand ahead of the chains, stand, you know, stand ahead of schedule, what about the defense? Can the defense, quote, earn their check tonight? Because if they do, I think, I think Atlanta has a really, really good shot to be in this game, but if they don't, I don't think it's gonna be forty-three to three, but it might get ugly, and it might get ugly fast. Uh,
0: look, I I think for for Atlanta, this is, as Ben said, this I, I hate using necessarily pride as as a as a metric because, as Ben said, you're getting paid to do this, right? I mean, like your your paycheck relies on this. As Ben was talking before the show, when we we when we talked about this. It's not like the Falcons have to, you know, worry about like college students. Like they, they don't have to go take have a paper due tomorrow. They don't have a, you know, a, a chemistry uh, final. They have to study. The, their final is football. And right now, they've taken nine final exams and they failed five of them. Uh and, and the last one was the equivalent of getting a twelve on a paper, which I think I actually got one that bad in college. It was it was rough. <laughs> but I mean, that was bad. How do you bounce back from that and and try to keep? Some people keep their jobs. I'm not talking about the head coach. I'm talking about on this football team where it has been bad. You have zero. One guy shouldn't have that big of an effect on your team. I'm not saying one guy should have no effect, Ben, but one guy should not have such an effect where if we're sitting here talking like, Boy, man, if uh, Cordell Patterson doesn't play, like they can't run the ball and they, they may only have one receiver that they can count on and catch it. Like it shouldn't, one guy shouldn't have that big of an effect that you just fall apart offensively. And if it is, it shouldn't be your running back slash wide receiver, it should be a guy like Matt Ryan not being there. So uh, to me, this is about figuring out a way to stop one of the hottest teams in the league. Falcons haven't won in Mercedes-Benz Stadium all season. I mean, that's hard to believe. Haven't won in Mercedes-Benz Stadium all season long. Uh, you got to find a way uh, to go out there and, and get it done. And I think uh, for as much as we harp on the offense, I mean, the other side of the ball, guys, hardly any sacks this year. You're dead last in interceptions. And you're playing a quarterback in in Mac Jones, who's starting to feel it now as a rookie quarterback. I mean, this is a tough assignment uh, for Atlanta. I think it's more about the defensive guys tonight, helping, hoping, willing a way to keep that offense in it.
1: When's the last time you had a complete performance? I mean, when's the last time you've put it all together? And if you can do that on a national stage against Bill Belichick and the Patriots, that would give you some very real momentum because Atlanta has not won a game by more than a touchdown in their last 14 games. So not once in their last 14 games have they won by more than a touchdown. And I'm not saying I expect that to happen tonight. I'm not saying that should be the standard. But when's the last time you put it all together where you had the offense in rhythm? You defensively were making some plays. Special teams have been pretty good. But, Kevin, you're talking about the defense. Atlanta's last in the league in sacks and second to last in in interceptions. You have to make plays. And I understand you're young. I understand you've had injuries, you get all that, but, but at some point you don't have to be great. Can you be okay? And if you can't be okay, can you at least make a couple of plays at the right time, a sack, an interception, and you've not been able to do that. So I agree. It's, it's, it's natural to talk about the offense and the offensive line and you can't run the football. Matt Ryan was what, like seven of 21 or something last week, two picks for Matty ice. You don't see that a lot, but defensively, can you make a couple of plays? Matt Jones is a rookie. I know he's been really good, Ben. He's been really good. Matt Jones is a rookie. You should be able, I think, tonight at home, big crowd, to make a couple of plays. Maybe it's a pick. Maybe it's a sack fumble. Make a couple of plays that can give you a chance to win.
2: When I played with a great Steve there, he used to always tell me something that I think applies now. He's like, Ben, you want to be – You want to be a jack of many trades. You want to be the master of none of them. You want to be efficient across the board. Not good, not great, efficient. Because in order to be good, in order to become great, you need to be efficient first. Atlanta is not efficient. They do not execute on offense. They do not execute on defense. They do not play play complementary offense or complementary defense. They are hoping that something happens. You do that at Pop Warner. The reason why you made it to the pros is because you have these skills set to go out and execute plays against the opposing team. What has happened with Atlanta is you play so much, as you mentioned, Kevin, on certain guys. Cordell Patterson plays receiver, but because they have no running game, he has to play both. So I ask, how much better could he be at the position they pay him to play if the other position actually does their job? Kyle Pitts leads the team and catches the yards. You know, You know what? Who cares? You know why? Because he can't get in the end zone. He is guaranteed Kevin and BJ to be taken out of the game plan tonight. Because Kevin just said this. Okay, if Cordell isn't there now, you got to go to a cow pitch. Nope. While one rookie is a starting quarterback for the team you're playing, the opposing rookie who, went, who, who, got, who, dra- who got drafted higher than the quarterback, by the way, will not be a factor. How do I, how do I as a role player, supersede my, supersede my role expectations? That's what you do in football. When one guy doesn't play well, another guy has to play well. I'm not saying, listen, as my coaches say, you don't have to be a pro bowler to give me pro bowl effort, to have a pro bowl type game, because Atlanta needs to win in the worst way. Mercedes being supposed to be a home field advantage. I'm, I'm only looking, is it going to be packed out tonight? Oh my God. Because let's face it, Atlanta don't got the, the greatest fan base in the world. They're looking for any reason to not show up to boo. To complain, (laughs) to criticize. So, well, even with all that, you could still be 500 after the end of tonight. It's crazy. You could, and (coughs) excuse me. Um, with when it comes to Matty Ice, I apologize to him because Kevin, BJ, just imagine, since you've got a position, you had to be elite every game. Year one as a rookie, year 13 or 14, whatever it is. I have to play well. You know how much stress that He wants to play well, but it's different than having to play well. Well, he's going to have to give you uh, an MVP-type effort tonight, and that still might not be good enough because he can only do so much. He throws the ball. He checks the protection. He doesn't block. He doesn't run. He doesn't tackle. He doesn't cover. So if he's going to do his part, those other 52 guys or other, I guess, what, 46 guys are uh, going to have to go out there and do their part because if we look up in the second quarter and it's 21-7, to, to seven, Is Atlanta built to come back? So I I just think it's a lot of factors, but I do think Jack and Mini trades master of none. Be efficient tonight, and who knows, man? You know, Deion Jones, man, play out of your mind. Go vintage on us, because I haven't seen Deion Jones show up in the stat sheet at all, and at one point, B.J. and Kevin, he was one of the top young linebackers in football. I don't know what's happened to him.
0: And again, I think, again, Atlanta, you've got to have something tonight. We'll, we'll, we'll break that down when we come back. Arthur Smith, how much does he need this just early on in his tender, tenure to get a win, a win at home, a win that shows something. Uh, in the way of uh, moving in a good direction. We'll break that down when we return. It's three and out here on this Thursday. He'd love to hear from you. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live uh, audio on espandcoastal.com Also, you can see us uh, streaming live on our Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages as well. We're coming back with more Three and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Three and out, love to hear from you on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. You can also catch us streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and across the uh, the radio network as well. Falcons and Patriots tonight, Matt Ryan, Mac Jones, uh, your quarterback matchup. Arthur Smith, though, a team that is struggling. As we mentioned, BJ, a number of categories where you're just not good. Not good in sacks, not good in creating turnovers on defense. Rushing the football. You're just not very good. About the only thing you've been halfway decent, and I I would imagine a lot of the credit for this goes to Matt Ryan because of how porous the offensive line has played at times, is throwing the football, you're not terrible. And and, and I guess that's uh, that's something. But how bad does Arthur Smith need that? What would it mean to get a win tonight where you get to 500 and just looking at how it's playing, you're, you're still kind of controlling the way here is potentially getting a wild card spot. It sounds strange, but yet there you
1: are. It's amazing what a win can do. And it's going to be tough tonight against Bill Belichick in New England. But yes, if you win tonight, you are in the mix. You're a, you're a playoff contender. And I have the NFC standings up, up right now. Uh, You know, aside from the division winners, you look and some of these divisions are not very good. Philadelphia is in second place in the NFC East. They're four and six. Minnesota is in second place in the NFC North. They're four and five. If you win tonight, uh, if you're Atlanta, you're right there with Carolina at, at at five and five. And then you have LA out west after Arizona, but you are you are right there. And if you lose, I think the negative momentum that you saw from last week carries over and becomes more of a more of a trend, and maybe you worry about the confidence and just the overall uh, uh, belief in winning games down the stretch. But if you win this game, you're 500, and the NFC is not very deep. It's just not, and you're going to have tough division games moving forward. We all know that, but you give yourself a chance if you win tonight, and it's it's on national TV to go back to what we said in the earlier segment. It's a chance to bounce back. It's a chance to rewrite the wrongs. It's a chance to you know. Show show the NFL what you can do. And this is a team with a lot of questions. But you still have, I mean, oftentimes when we break down games, right, Ben, we go to the quarterback matchup. Well, you have a, a guy that might be a Hall of Famer. You have a guy who's been an MVP. And then on the other side, with all due respect, you have a rookie. And Mac Jones has been really good, but he also hasn't been in very many games like this in the NFL where you're on the road, prime time, all eyes, all eyes on you. So – this is a real opportunity for Atlanta Tide. I think it's I think I, then I think you can even call it a crossroads game. If you lose, m- might be a struggle the rest of the year. If you win, I think you get some positive traction here.
2: The reason why you got to get a win in the worst way <clears throat> is because Arthur Smith, there's nothing about him right now that shows you're moving in the right direction. Let's face it, you are still trying to get the Dan Quinn era out of your system. They're, and Dan Quinn, I mean, Arthur Smith inherited a losing, a losing organization, a losing culture. Yes, BJ Maddie Ice has been an MVP. Yes, yes, BJ Matty Ice has uh, been to a Super Bowl. That's in the past. How bad have they been since they won, I'm sorry, went to a Super Bowl? So I think for Arthur Smith is every coach comes in with a mentality. Every coach wants you to buy into what he's selling. Well, the only thing, the only thing I'm gonna buy in is when is when I'm in that win column. Because he understood, you got rid of Julio. You don't have a Derrick Henry. Calvin Ridley's not here right now. You got, a, you got a receiver playing running back. You got a bunch of guys on defense that can't play together. What is it about you that I should buy in if we're not winning? Yes, they can put together a nice performance. But then you are only as good as your last game and your upcoming game. Well, last game, before the, so you're uh, 43-3. forty-three to I just think that the hardest thing is, getting these new head coaches to understand you're not going to reinvent this thing. You're going to have to grind. You're going to have to go out there and make some calls. You're going to have to, you know, find a way to, to eke out, you know, a win you probably shouldn't have won. And you want to do it. You want to look respectable doing it. The NFL is rough. I mean, the best teams stay the best teams because look at what they do. Same head coach, same quarterback, same kind of cast of characters around them, winning culture. The Ravens, winning culture, right? The Bucks. Have become in one year, hopefully, a winning culture. Green Bay, coach, quarterback, winning culture. Seahawks going through a down year, but their quarterback is hurt. You don't hear a lot. People go, "What about the Browns? They got Baker Mayfield. What about these?" It's hard to break into the NFL um, as a franchise that got a bunch of new players. I think Matty Ice has been through fourteen drafts. Played with Roddy White. Played with you know. Played with uh, Julio Jones. Played with Tony Gonzalez. Michael Bernard Turner. He's never had a defense, but he's never had a defense like this. So, for me, Arthur Smith will have to get a win, man, because I'm telling you right now. You think it's hard to keep the attention of a bunch of student athletes in college that don't get paid? It's even harder to keep the attention of guys who do because in their mind, you got the head coaching job because you had a 2,000-yard rusher. Well, if you, can't, if you can't hand the ball off, if the, if the, if the recipe for success – with the Titans, they handed the ball off to Derrick Henry, what is. So now, Kevin, BJ, he better start winning. Because I don't know how I don't know how much they're invested in Arthur Smith, but if he's losing this way, not even competing at all, it's gonna be a long year and I don't know how I know how dedicated they are to him.
0: Well, I mean, I know Dior later said it was a matchup deal with Dallas, but that's that is just rough. I mean, that's a tough pill to swallow, and you got a short week against Belichick and the Patriots, uh, BJ. I think Arthur Smith, uh, again, you kind of want that, what's that moment? Oh, I think everybody realized, hey, this Falcons team uh, picking in the top five was okay. They're, they, they, got some, they got some hills to climb, obviously, but this was a team that largely saw Dan Quinn go out the door because people looked at the talent on the team and said, this guy is underachieving with what he has. Yep. Uh I E yeah, they're picking the top 5 but not say they should be a Super Bowl contender but they certainly shouldn't be uh where they are and I think if you're Arthur Smith you got to figure out a way to win some games cuz uh, again I think people look at it and say yeah, the, the the roster's bad. The roster has some holes on the offensive line. You are here to turn us in a different direction and uh, again Ben, everybody out there is like, this is my livelihood. And losing reflects bad on everybody, right? Because, I mean, I, I, again, I'm not going to speak for this, Ben. I'll let you do it. But if I'm in the, say, Jaguars locker room and we're in the middle of a 20-game losing streak, yeah, I'm getting paid in the back of my mind. I'm sitting around going, well, that also means they're looking at every last one of us jokers saying who – obviously there's a reason we're not winning. Who, Who is expendable? Who can get out? Uh, and that may mean your job. I think if you're the Falcons, you start looking around and go, man, we have better talent. We're not winning. I think a lot of people thought maybe, and maybe they're moving this direction, uh, that this was maybe a seven- or eight-win football team, and they're not far off from that. But start losing, I think you start saying, well, the front office is going to look around and say, who can we get rid of and who might that be it for in the National Football League if you can't get it done uh, anymore even on a team like this? So, uh, look, I I think there's a lot of people that could use a win for a lot of reasons, but I think Arthur Smith, again, I don't think anybody's asking him to win all the next eight games but you need to win some and show you still got fight and you can figure this thing out and, and not pick in the top six or seven again uh, if this thing goes south.
2: The 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 uh, the candidates who always get let go first are the guys who make the most money. Because the problem is, you like, listen, you've earned these uh, contract extensions. The problem is we're not getting any better. It's a young man's league. I want to get as young as I can, as cheap as I can, and win as many games as I can. And not have to pay guys. Well, when you talk about Grady J, when you talk about Deion Jones, when you talk about Matty Ice, when you talk about guys that's making 9 to $10, to $11, to $12 million dollars a year, and we're losing, forget the fact that we're losing first. We're being, we're being embarrassed. 43 to, to 3 is not a loss, that's embarrassing. So you start saying, well, I, 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 this, as, soon as, as soon as they bring you on the team, they're finding a way to get rid of you. I know that sounds crazy. You have to supersede the expectation for them to keep you. Matty Ice makes a lot of money. That's a big reason why you can't sign a bunch of players. Dante Fowler Jr. got paid a lot of money. Haven't heard from him since. Deion Jones and Grady Jarrett and these guys, they have, they're have they not getting it done. So the guys on the chopping block are the guys making meals. The average player in the NFL doesn't make a million dollars. They make 500 600 I mean, I'm not complaining. That's still big money. But you start making millions and you're not – even if you are getting it done, they're still trying to find a way to give you a pay cut. But you lose a 43-3? to Number one, Arthur Smith was a who's coach. When he got hired, it was who was that? Arthur Smith is only intriguing not because he got the head coaching job because of who his father is, not because of him. Now it becomes the same reason why they was questioning why you got the head coaching job is not the same. See, they shouldn't have got this guy. Because Derrick Henry don't not only makes Mike Vrabel look good or Arthur Smith look good, he make the whole Titans look good. So I just think that now if Arthur Smith don't get it done, it's a bad reflection on Arthur Blank. And I know him. And, I know Arthur Blank and you know uh, Arthur Smith. daddy is, is yeah. like friends, but, but you I mean, gonna get fired. At the and time again, point. hindsight is twenty yeah. twenty, DJ.
0: But I think uh, from the beginning, a lot of folks have looked at at Arthur Smith and questioned where where are we going with this thing. Obviously, Kyle Pitts seemed like a no brainer. You needed offensive weapons. Okay, you did go out and draft some offensive linemen, but in a in a draft full of running and I mean full of running backs. And you, you did not address that in the draft pick. You said, Mike Davis is my guy. Mike Davis is not even your go-to guy. He's got about the same yards as a guy that is kind of a utility player uh, there. So you were questioned on some of that. You didn't play a lot of your key guys at all in the preseason. We questioned him about that on this show. No snaps, Not not a drive, not two drives in the entire preseason. How's that going to affect? And this team got off to a rough start. Offensively, and in some cases, you know, obviously defensively they struggle all year long. So I think you need to show some signs of I know what I I I, I hate to say it this way because it sounds bad. I know what I'm doing, and here's the reasons I can show that we're moving in the right direction. Forty three three isn't it? And you got a tough team not winning at home, isn't it? Uh, again, you can say, "Well, I won all my games on the road." You don't win at home. People are going, "I'm paying big money to come sit in these seats. They never win here. What, what's up with that?" So. Uh, I think there's a lot of pressure, even early, on Arthur Smith to say, look, this is a team that is not going backwards. We are starting to show some signs of improvement. Can't get beat 43-3. We can win at home, and we can look competent doing some of those things. That may be too much to ask uh, with the roster. I don't know, but I I think that's, to me, what I'm looking for from Arthur Smith right now because we've had an opportunity to question uh, a lot of things to this point.
1: All things considered, it's been okay in some ways. You know, for all the struggles to go back to the record, you're a win away tonight from being five and five. And with winning comes validation, with winning comes belief, with winning comes more winning many times than not. So that's why I think tonight is so important. It's a chance to get back to 500, it's a chance to show what you can do, and it's a chance to respond. I think the negativity around the Falcons isn't so much the record, it's you lose 43 to three. Got to be better than that. Got to bounce
0: back. Important game tonight. And we will come back. We will chat with Dave Choate. The Falcoholic will join us. We'll look at tonight's ballgame. What do we expect to see from this Atlanta Falcons football team trying to win a game in Mercedes-Benz Stadium? He will join us next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin. Good to have you here, 3 and Out, on this Thursday. Falcons and Patriots tonight. Uh, coming up, Falcons trying to get to 500. Joining us here from the Falcoholic. Dave Choate joins us here on 3 and Out. Dave, welcome to the show. How are you?
3: Doing well. Dreading the game, but I'm good.
0: Hey, appreciate you coming on. After last week's 43-3, to how bad do the Falcons need this one? Maybe you can say in a W, but I mean, how how bad do they need a good showing uh, tonight after last week's just uh, awful play?
3: Uh, they need it really badly. I, I think, you know, you look at the rest of the schedule. You got the Lions, which, you know, should be a punching bag game, but Otherwise, nobody looks really easy who's left on the schedule, and the Falcons, you know, if you come out, you lose by, you know, 20 points again to the Patriots, which would still be a much better showing than you got against the Cowboys, but, you know, not not what we're hoping for. Uh, it says that you just can't hack it, right? Like, you're not going to be good enough to handle a lot of the tough teams that are left on your schedule, and that's going to make for a rough rest of the year for these guys. So I hope that they can bring it together and, and, and put forth a better effort because otherwise I, I don't really know where they go from here. Um, but it's, it's not back to 500, that's for sure.
1: Dave, when you look back at that loss to Dallas, 43-3, to where can progress or improvement uh, most easily be made? I mean, where, where are they likely to improve tonight if, if, if we see improvement at all?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, offensively, you're going to see some improvement um, just because there's nowhere, there's nowhere to go but up, right? Um, you know, obviously, if you're missing Patterson, the concern again becomes, like, who do you throw the ball to? There's no question that Bill Belichick is, is not going to let Kyle Pitts beat them. But I, I have to think, you know, that Zacchaeus, the Gage, the Tajay Sharp, these guys are better than we've seen from them the last couple of weeks, and I, I do definitely think they'll show up. Passing game will be a little bit crisper. They will actually score, you know, some touchdowns. So, to me, that that's a virtual lock. I also think defensively, I don't think they're going to get burned quite as badly. I look at this, um, you know, group of pass catchers in New England, and you know, it's a good group. It's a deep group. They have a lot of weapons. They don't necessarily have, you know, a CD Lamb or a Michael Gallup, um, and those guys were just exploiting matchups. You know, they were throwing away from AJ Terrell as teams are doing. You know, New England's going to try to replicate that, but I don't think they have the same caliber of receivers. So, you know, I, I guess the, the short answer uh, would be I'm expecting them to improve across the board. It's just a question of, you know, to what degree can they do it.
2: And, Dave, when you think about a guy like Arthur Smith, obviously when he got hired, people was questioning the hire, not because he's not a good enough candidate. It's only because people were like, okay, that's the guy that, you know, called the plays for uh, Brian Tannehill to hand the ball off to Derrick Henry. I mean, still very still I mean still early, I guess in his uh head coach tenure, but what is what is the team as far as like their uh you know, how do they feel about him right now? Cuz you know how hard it is for the win over a new coach with a team that already had a losing culture.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, they they're probably feeling pretty good about him so far. I you know, we haven't heard any, you know, discontent or anything to that extent. Um and hopefully we won't because be a bad sign if you just hired a guy in, in year one, you know, players are already tuning them out, getting unsatisfied. I, I think really, you know, what you've been hearing from Arthur Smith and DMPs is, you know, this is going to take time, um, and it's not always satisfying for us to hear that, especially after a game like Dallas, man, you, all you want to hear is, we're going to get this thing turned around immediately. But they know, you know, there's, there's some talent issues on both sides of the ball here, there's you know, taking the time to implement things. There's the fact that not everything is firing on all cylinders. You know, I'm sure that, that Arthur Smith would love to just be able to hand the ball to Mike Davis and Corderell Patterson. You know, as many times as he did Derrick Henry and get even 75% of that production and, and really let Ryan pick his spots a little bit more. But, you know, none of that's an option. So I think these guys are, are realistic about the fact that you know this this whole thing is going to take time, and the fact that they're they're anywhere near 500, that they've got a shot at contending, and we're in playoff contention even just a week ago. You know, with that seventh seed, I think they've got to be feeling pretty good. I think you know year two, year three, and I think you know they will get at least three years here in Atlanta. If if we don't see that kind of improvement, um, it, it's going to be a bigger problem, and I think you'll see you'll see things turn a little bit, but right now I think, you know, he seems to walk the walk as a coach and I, I hope, I hope that everybody's
0: on board with him. Dave Choate, the Falcoholic joining us here on three and out and, and Dave over to the defensive side. Uh, you spent some draft capital there the last handful of years. I know they weren't necessarily your guys. If, uh, if you're talking about the, the current coaching staff, but this is a team that still can't sack the quarterback down near the bottom in turnovers uh, forced and interceptions uh, we talked about it with this team. It's like you don't need this Falcons defense to be great. They just can't be where they are, which is down near the bottom.
3: Yeah, and it, it's been unfortunate too because you know some of the guys that I think could help with that, particularly on the turnover side of things. You know, Jalen Hawkins playing is great. Like that guy is, is clearly talented. He looks like he could be a starter for them. You know, that's a great draft steal in that that final Thomas Dimitrov draft, but. You know, you look at Richie Grant, and, and to me, Richie Grant is a playmaker. He's a guy that can help you get those turnovers. You know, not playing a lot. I know Dean Pease, I'm sure, has his reasons for that, but I think he's played well when he has played. And otherwise, it's just difficult to see, you know, where is the improvement going to come from. They, they certainly missed on enough draft choices over the years, especially up front. I think you're seeing, um, you know, Deion Jones and Foyer Alouacan not playing uh, to their peak potential, those are guys that in the past you would count on them for turnovers, particularly Jones. It's just not happening for them. I just don't think, you know, whether it's Ease's scheme not being fully implemented, which I know he keeps talking about, whether it's the talent, whether it's a combination of the two, which I think it is ultimately They're just not there defensively, and it's really frustrating to see them, even when they get those opportunities. You know, I think Eric Harris has played pretty well this year. I've been pretty impressed with him as a starter. Uh, You know, he's got eight pass deflections where six or seven of those, you know, balls that he had a chance to make an interception on. They're just, you know, when you're already, you know, dealing with uh, lack of talent, you know, figuring things out on the fly, it's the execution errors, too, that are dooming you. So, you know, they're going to need another draft or two to turn this thing around. To any extent, they got to get the pass rushers, but it's it's a little bit grim that they can't even get the little things right right now.
1: And you mentioned the pass rushers, Atlanta's last in the league in sacks. Uh, It feels like this has been an issue for a generation. I mean, is there anything they can do schematically to try to be a little more productive rushing the passer?
3: Yeah, it's a great question, and I've been a little bit surprised. You know, I I think one of the things that fans expected from DMPs when he came in, maybe a little bit unfairly, because he didn't always, you know, blitz hugely um, in Tennessee in particular. But we're expecting more blitzes. We're expecting more effective blitzes, and I've only seen that really happen and work sporadically. I think they're somewhere in the middle of the pack in terms of percentage of blitzes, and a lot of those are not working. I've seen again. Harris has some success getting into the backfield, occasionally Dion Jones or Aluakon, but there, you know, I think that this team could blitz more effectively. I think they could pick their spots better, um, and hopefully, you know, get something going with that. Otherwise, I just, I don't know if you can overcome the, the lack of talent, particularly from your edge rushers. I think maybe a fully healthy Dante Fowler gives you a boost, but Otherwise, these are guys that are either rookies or they've you know, been around a few years and there's just limitations to their game. Um, you know, it, it doesn't look to me like anything but better matchups um, and Fowler returning to form are really going to get them there. But I, I would like to see Pease do a better job. and Maybe that's unfair to say, but I would like to see the Blitzes be more effective than they have been to this point.
2: I mean, the mental health of uh, Calvin Ridley, the uh, physical health of Cordell Patterson, a retooled offensive line. Uh, can, can, is Mat- Does Matty Ice have enough left in the tank to will this team to wins? I know we've been saying he's having to do that since he's been drafted at Atlanta, but he had better talent around him. Is he good enough? Le- does he have enough talent left in him to will this team to wins? Because with everything you mentioned on defense, I think he's going to have to do it on offense like he's always done.
3: Yeah, and I, I think he's he's still got it. You know, it, there are things that, you know, maybe aren't where they they were before. Um, you look back at like there was, somebody posted a highlight reel on Twitter the other day of his rookie season, and like you notice the arm strength was there. Uh, in a way, it's not today. He can still make those throws, but he's you, you know he's older now. Um, but I think that you know talent wise, you know will wise, and certainly ability to run the offense you know he he can still get the job done I think it's just a question of you know how many limitations around him can he overcome and like I think we saw last week that like you got some banged up playmakers the Cowboys are doing a great job of taking away a guy like Pitts you have certainly got your limitations on the offensive line as these guys learn on the job you know it it all becomes a little bit much um, if you can't get other guys open and I think that you know, Ryan is still good enough to win with this offense. I think we've seen it. We saw it against New Orleans. We've seen it against, you know, the Jets. Some of these teams are good. Some of these teams are not good. But to me, he's still got it uh, to the extent that he can win games. It's just some of these tougher matchups with some of these guys unavailable. It just might be too much for him to overcome. I think there's there's a limit to what almost anybody can do, but Ryan, in particular, um, you know, he can't win a game just with his legs. He's not going to win a game with a, you know, fifty-yard bomb downfield anymore. So that, that's just not going to happen.
0: Dave Choate, the alcoholic, joining us here on Three and Out. All right, Dave. Finally, the Falcons have not won in Atlanta yet. The Patriots have not lost on the road yet. What gives tonight? And uh, can the Falcons get this one done?
3: Yeah, I, I, I hate to say it, but I think, um, you know, the Patriots' road streak will continue. I, I think the Falcons will continue to lose at home. It's it's a tough one because, you know, for me, I would love to see the Falcons beat the Patriots uh, for many, many reasons, and it hasn't happened in the Matt Ryan era. But I think you're looking at a the team, they're reeling a little bit. I don't know if they'll have Patterson or not. You know, they're coming off a 40-point loss, the Patriots are the... The hottest team in football—they've outscored their last four opponents by 100 points combined. It's—it's just—it feels to me like too much. You got to get a really sloppy effort out of the Patriots, and and one thing that we know about New England is that uh, Bill Belichick usually has them ready to go, you know, even on a short week. So to me, you know, I would love to see them at least be really competitive. I would love it even more if they could steal one away, but I'm certainly hoping that and not expecting it.
0: Dave Choate, the Falcoholic, our guest here on Three and Out. Dave, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Falcons and Patriots coming up later tonight. You'll hear that uh, right here as well as the Falcons try to win a game there at home in Mercedes-Benz. We'll come back with more Three and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here on Three and Out all across the Southern Pigskin radio network uh, again got the pga tour along the coast this week on st simon's island the rsm classic round number one just about uh done uh, still a handful of guys on the course bj and ben but as i i look at it here coming down the stretch uh depending on how it plays out uh maybe an opportunity not uh to, to deviate from this a little bit but it looks like Uh, If it holds where it's at right now, 13, only 13 rounds over par. Everybody else under par out of the 150, uh, trying to get to the bottom of my, I think 155 golfers this week, 13 over par rounds in the first round out of 155. Not bad. Sebastian Munoz, your leader in the clubhouse, minus 10 leads a host of guys, including Zach Johnson, uh, St. Simons Island resident, at nine under, so uh, there's a quick look at the, uh, the the scoreboard through round run. A lot of low scores there on day one.
1: Yeah, really impressive scores. And uh, Sebastian Munoz, like you said, ten under uh, with an opening round sixty. I mean, that'll that'll obviously get it done. You mentioned Zach Johnson there at nine under, Russell Henley uh, at eight under. You know, Rich was talking earlier in the week. Jonathan Bird at six under about some of the some of the local golfers and kind of how you balance everything and. And what do you see out there once the tournament starts? I mean, that's a that's a really good start for Zach Johnson, tied for second with a couple of other guys. And I think, I mean, is it fair to say, uh, Kevin? Ben, when you talk about a golf tournament, you kind of set the tone on Thursday, and then obviously the weekend's different. But if you can sort of, you know, you hear in football, stay ahead of the sticks. I think the same thing kind of applies with your opening round performance on Thursday in a golf tournament.
2: Listen, when it comes to golf, uh, you know, I always listen. I always go to Kevin. I always go to Christian. But yes, the one thing I know is this: these guys are really, really good at you know getting out of bad situations. I always ask Christian what makes what makes you know pro golfers the best. He says, "Look, man, even even if they hit a bad shot, they can still find a way to stay on par. You know what? They, you know, or, you know, stay on course if you want to call it. So I mean, BJ and Kevin some big, you know, some big scores in this open round. Hopefully, they can keep it up because as I know with any sport. It's not how you start, especially with golf. Yeah, it's it's, the, it's that it's that it's that final round score. So you don't want to come out high to feels a like You want to try to maintain that throughout the course of the tournament.
0: Yeah, Thursday, Friday is all about positioning. Saturday is to put you in a position to contend. And uh, again, BJ, I'll be interested to see how a lot of those local guys uh, fare. As uh, Rich told us yesterday, haven't had a a winner at the RSM Classic uh, of the number of guys who call uh, Saint Simons their home have not had a local winner yet in that thing and I know it uh, can maybe there's more pressure to say hey it's the hometown course I got to try to go out and and get it done but just kind of one of those quirks and and I think it would be interesting if it was like hey it's uh, Davis Love the third is the hometown guy he hasn't won it but there's like nine or ten dudes uh, Brian Harmon called St. Simon's home others who have haven't won it uh, have not been able to do it. So we are interested to see how those scores uh, hold up uh, going into round two. But I think only about five or six groups left uh, here for the opening round number one, and we'll let you know how it all wraps up. But uh, pretty much everybody inside the top ten is already finished here for round number one. Good to have you back here, three and out. A lot to get to on the show. Alex Fahar, Salt Lake Tribune will join us coming up uh, next segment that covers BYU and the Cougars there for the Salt Lake Tribune, and we'll look ahead to Saturday's game with Georgia Southern. Also, a lot of coaching rumors out there around college football, some contract dollars getting thrown around, and uh, this and that. We'll get to that coming up in uh, about 30 minutes here on the show. But, fellas, let's take three here on 3 and Out. All right, we start with the college football. uh, Take one uh, with... Dan Mullen's tenure certainly in question. Florida State needs to win out to get bowl eligible. In Miami, potentially uh, talking about, well, they're not talking about, but there's a lot of speculation about Manny Diaz and his tenure at Miami. Which program will be in the best shape in five years? Florida, Florida State, or Miami. That's
1: really tough and in in some ways I want to say Florida State because it feels like if you if you believe that a coaching change is probably coming for Miami might be coming for for the University of Florida that you've already kind of I guess reset and, and sort of started to build back up at Florida State whereas maybe the reset is still coming at Miami and and Florida but I think at least right now, Florida has earned the benefit of the doubt more than Florida State. Uh, I do think there's some uncertainty at Miami, and and most specifically comparing Florida and Florida State at Florida. But, you know, Florida was in the SEC championship game last year. And this year's been a disappointment, but I think they're more than likely going to be in a bowl game. I think uh, Florida State would have to win their last two. Miami's got to win one of two. Florida's got to win one of two. But I feel most confidently of all those teams that. Florida is the likely candidate to make it to the postseason. I just think maybe there's a little more resources with the Gators, so hard to pick. I guess you can make an argument for or against any of them there, but I will say
2: Florida. Miami, I, I just don't see it being Miami because, because I just think they have a lot. They need a lot. They need more than just a coach. The culture down there is really, really bad right now. Florida seems to have shown that they have the ability to go out there and, you know, make plays and, and look and look good perception-wise. But, I mean, Dan Mullen can't recruit, um, you know, the way people thought he was going to be recruiting. Uh, the product on the field is so-so. For BJ, I think it is going to be Florida State because the whole thing about it is Florida State can still recruit. Florida State is still going to be able to go out there and get the guys they want to get in there. The transfer portal seems to be working out with some of the guys they brought in. And they're in the ACC. They're a team to where, when you look at the ACC right now, if Clemson, if Clemson stays, I don't know, halfway normal, I mean, Florida State can get a coach in, potentially get some players in, and they could be competing right now. Florida I mean, Florida State got to look up to a Clemson that, okay, I get that part. Florida, oh, my God. Either they are better, unless you're going to be better. Alabama ain't allowed to be bad. Georgia's going to still be good. Who knows how South Carolina is going to be? So with so many teams to judge their success on, I'm going to go with Florida State because I just think right now you do need an overhaul in Florida, but I think Miami is going through an identity crisis. I think that the brand Miami, perception-wise, don't match the reality anymore. And I just think, for me, when you look at Florida State, they still competing. They got to find a way to get those guys in there. But they get the right coach. I think they'll be better in five years, yes.
0: Uh, again, man, this is weird. I mean, I could say Miami with all the speculation uh, that's come out in the last day or so about who might be interested. And we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. I, I feel like Miami's chasing chasing the fairy tale. And, and again, maybe to some respect, Florida State is as well. Uh, this is how good we used to be, and we're going to get there again. We'll see. I, I'll say Florida State, I guess. And again, I'd say for a lot of the reasons that Ben said. If you're Florida, you have LSU every year. And again, right now, you're probably on par with what they're doing, at least in 2021. But that's a tough game. Tennessee seems to be on uh, the, the come up. Georgia, obviously, as long as Kirby Smart is there, and he's not going anywhere, I don't think Georgia's going anyplace. So that's a tough mountain to climb, and you haven't even gotten into some of the teams you struggle to beat, like Kentucky and South Carolina, and heaven forbid you cross over against an A&M or uh, an Auburn. Oh, by the way, don't know what the rotation will look like, but there will probably come a day very soon where that rotation will include Oklahoma and or Texas and or both. I'm going to say it has to be Florida State uh, in that situation. Again, somebody's got to lose in that new configured SEC, and it can't just be the perennial bottom feeders. So it's going to be interesting. I I will say Florida State in this scenario. BJ and Ben, we move along to take two. Which former Alabama quarterback would you rather have leading your NFL team right now? Jalen Hurts, Mac Jones, or Tua?
1: Yeah, um, and we'll see Mac tonight, of course, has been exceptional as of late. Uh, Tua, the injuries, I mean, they've they have been consistent. You have not been able to see him for long stretches. I still think the potential is there for Tua. I feel like people have turned the page from Tua a little too early. If he can stay healthy, that's a big if at this point. I like Mac, but with, keep in mind we've still only seen, you know, a half of a season with him. We haven't seen a ton with all these guys. Uh, I, I think Jalen Hurts. I, I think Jalen Hurts might have uh, the highest upside potentially. I I do like what I've seen from him. I like the fact that he's dual threat, you know, in today's NFL can make plays, of course, throwing in the football very proficiently, but also had enough mobility, of course, to move the chains and be a threat in the red zone. I think that's a major asset. Uh, look, it's hard to project the future, but I like what I've seen out of Jalen Hurts. Again, I think his ceiling might be a little bit higher. And you know, you call him an Oklahoma quarterback? to where he finished. But Alabama, yeah, I will go with I will go with Jalen Hurts.
2: Love what Jalen Hurts is doing right now. I think he is the guy for that Philadelphia Eagles job. I think Tua is the guy that's uh, you know just can't uh, can't get over the injury bug. BJ, I, I'm going to go with Mac Jones. This is why Mac Jones doesn't rely on his athleticism. Like like Jalen Hurts, Mac Jones doesn't rely on his you know big arm like Tua. Mac Jones relies on his ability to break down defenses, get to the right guy, and move on. Mac Jones has a lot of veteran savvy to him. He's doing it with two tight ends, a running game, and and throwing receivers open. Think about the thing about Jalen Hurts is how good is Jalen Hurts if you take away his legs? Tua, I can't can't make the club in the tub. I love Tua, but he's on the injury report even when he's playing. So for me, it's Mac Jones because one, six and four, what six and four right now? I think getting, uh, you know, uh, I think right now either second or tied for first in that division, and finding a way to get it done in spite of learning the position. So I always, I love dual threats, I love them. But you know who's hurt right now with dual threats? Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson. You know who's not hurt? Lamar Jackson. When you are a dual threat, it's, it's not a matter of if, but when. When, you, when you're learning the, the quarterback position from the pocket, dissect the defenses, get into your going, to, going through your reads, taking what they give you, throwing the ball away when necessary, and using your legs. If all if all else fails, those guys stay in the league longer. So for me, give me Mac Jones, even though I love uh, Jalen Hurts and Tua.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with BJ. I'm, I'm gonna go Jalen Hurts, and I and I say that because I feel like Mac Jones would be the convenient answer. Cause he's doing it right now and as you said we only have not even half a season uh, of him uh, doing this so I, I'm gonna say Jalen Hurts I think all three bring a lot to the table uh, same reason uh, I'm not picking two the same reason y'all said look just it's just injuries uh, again if i want pick a team to or pick a guy to lead my team Uh, He's had some major injury (laughs) there he's had to deal with. I'm going to go Jalen Hurts. I I like the way he plays. I think underappreciated a little bit, and uh, I would pick him in that, uh, that question. Take three. Which 500 team is most likely to make a playoff run, the Browns, the Colts, or the Panthers? I think the Colts are in the worst division
1: because you look in that division and Jacksonville and Houston are, are really bad. Uh, You look in the uh, NFC South when you're talking about Tampa there and and New Orleans is still pretty good. And then I believe that Cleveland's last in the AFC North. Um, I, I, I do with with Cam back. Look at the upside of the Panthers defensively; they are really, really good, uh, especially at the defensive front. And then Cam scored two touchdowns last week. We're going to see more of that moving forward. But I I, I think Indy because of the division's so bad, and Jonathan Taylor has been fantastic for them. Uh, he's tied for first in the league in rushing yards. He actually has the same number of yards as Derrick Henry. They're both at nine hundred thirty-seven rushing yards. Uh, But I think Jonathan Taylor is the type of running back that can carry you through a stretch and can maybe in those games where a lot's on the line, you can turn to him and run it 20 times and he'll get you, you know, a buck 15, a buck 20 and give you a real chance to win the game. So I say, keep an eye on Carolina, especially with Cam, but I will go with the Colts with Jonathan Taylor. I know Wentz, we'll see, but with, with Jonathan Taylor and that bad division.
2: I've never ever picking the Browns do anything but do what they're doing right now and <laughs> underachieve. That's never, ever happening. Baker Mayfield is the middle of the road quarterback, and I just don't see it. Carson wins, BJ. I mean, you haven't seen it enough. Carson wins. Will Carson wins the whole team. He's a guy that's, he's a guy that's uh, very, very injury prone, and he makes some really, really bad decisions late. It's Cam. Look at what Cam brought. Okay, forget Cam's production last week because you're not going to really be in this game for two games, two touchdowns, one rush and one pass. Look at the energy he brings to the team. C-Mac and those guys on offense. Shaq Thompson, those guys on defense, Brian Burns and that defense. That defense was already playing lights out. They just gonna have, you know, a guy, a quarterback to help the team. Cam Newton brings energy and enthusiasm, you know, and the swagger to any team he's on. But when it was the team that drafted him, giving them Carolina Panthers, I think they still got the Dolphins. I think they still got like the Bills and the Bucks and the Falcons. So I, I, for me, I, I'm gonna go with those Carolina Panthers because I know what Cam. I know what having uh, a really, really good quarterback brings uh, to the entire, uh, you know, uh, uh, mentality of a team. So yes, I'm gonna go with Cam. Carson Wentz. I'm sorry, he's in the worst division, DJ, but he's also one of the worst. Himself, even with a guy like Jonathan Taylor who's balling right now. And I'm sorry, Baker Mayfield. They gave you Jarvis Landry. They gave you Odell. They gave they gave you Kareem Hunt. They gave you you know uh, you know they gave you Joe They gave you Hooper. You know they gave you Nick Chubb. They still losing because you're the quarterback. I'm gonna go with them Carolina <laughs> Panthers, Cam Newton.
0: I'm gonna go with the Colts for what BJ said. They're in a bad division. Cam's got to do it against better teams uh, consistently. And when you're talking about a uh, the question isn't who's going to be better for their team, because that would definitely be Cam. It's who's going to make a playoff run. And, again, no matter what you think about the quarterbacking in, in Indianapolis, they have the Jags and they have Houston. And not a great division with which to work in. A lot of upside there for, for the Colts. I'm going to go with Indianapolis for my answer there as well. we got so much more to come here on 3. Now, a lot of hot coaching news. Out there in college football, we'll get to that coming up uh, about 15 minutes. But when we return, the highest-ranked team ever to step foot in Paulson Stadium at the uh, FBS level is going to do so this weekend in BYU. Alex Vehar of the Salt Lake Tribune, he will join us when we come back here on 3 and Out. This Thursday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're with us. All across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, BYU rolling into Statesboro this weekend. Highest-ranked team to step into Paulson Stadium at the FBS level. And uh, joining us here from the Salt Lake uh, Tribune, Alex Vihar joins us here on 3NOW. Uh, Alex, welcome to the show. How are you?
4: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, we appreciate you coming on. BYU 8-2 and two really playing uh, playing well. What is What are the Eagle fans going to see when BYU comes to town this weekend? How's this team playing?
4: Yeah, they're playing really well. Um, like you mentioned, 8-2, and two, uh, they're on a... Uh, earlier in the season, they lost two games in a row. It, it got them out of the top 25 ranking, and they really just kind of um, reinvigorated themselves, found a little bit of confidence. Uh, they played, they've been playing a lot better. Their offense is really and, uh, and they've got that three-game winning streak, like I said. So I, I think fans of BYU and Georgia Southern can, can expect uh, a, pr- a pretty good game.
1: And, Alex, against Virginia, a good team out of the ACC, BYU scores 66 points. How? I mean, what type of production does this offense have in it, and how balanced and dynamic is that offensive attack?
4: Yeah, like you mentioned, um, that game against Virginia was uh, kind of eye-opening, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, Virginia also a high-scoring team, and BYU really proved that it was able to to score as many points and more um. Dynamic on offense, and I think, we're
0: having, I think we're having a little trouble with uh, with Charles. We'll try to get him back uh, here in just a second, but uh, yeah, BYU really likes to, to score a lot of points. A lot of pressure there on BYU, or excuse me, on Georgia Southern's defense this weekend.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think Ke- the offensive backfield, Ben, is, is is really talented. You have a quarterback in Jaron Hall who has 16 passing touchdowns compared to just three interceptions. You have a running back in Tyler Al- Algier who has 17 rushing touchdowns. That's tied for the national lead. And we mentioned they dropped 66 on Virginia, scored I believe over 60 last week against Idaho State as well. So this is a program that's bringing a big-time offense to Statesboro. It's going to be a great test for Georgia Southern defensively, and you got to find a way to slow that running game down. Right now the Cougars, one of the best teams in the country at running the football.
2: I mean, BYU, uh, BJ, and Kevin, I mean, coming to Paulson, I mean, you think about this Georgia Southern team that needs a lift, right? Obviously they still playing some very, very inspired football. You, you, you think of a year ago, BYU travels to Conway. Thinking they're going to get a big win. I think it got scheduled during the week. and You saw what Coastal Carolina was able to do, it, and I think that was uh, Zach Wilson, those guys, only lost that season. But I know right now BYU, I think, is ranked 14th. In the college football playoff rankings, they're trying to they're trying to win these next two games. Obviously, BJ and Kevin gonna need some help because they they definitely want to try to make it to a New Year's Six bowl. But the one thing, BJ, you talked about uh, before the show, BYU runs the football and they run it very very well, and they, and they use that to establish everything on offense. But look, I, I this the same way you have to deal with this Georgia Southern offense because of the the uh you know because of how you know because of how it attacks the defense. You're gonna have to deal with this BYU run game, which could definitely uh, end up being a problem for the Georgia Southern defense.
0: And again,
1: B-J- yeah, you're talking about a team that is that is very dynamic. Again, and I think the key is slow down the run, find a way to make BYU try to beat you through the air. But you might have to play a little offense or a little defense with your offense here on Saturday to try to slow BYU down.
0: I believe we have uh, we have found uh, Alex and got him back. Alex, sorry about that. I believe we have you back here uh, on the show. But uh, again, importance here of BYU finishing the season strong. Obviously, this has been a program the last couple of years that has been in the national spotlight.
4: Yeah, uh, they had, they're they're back in the national. Sorry about the about the technical uh, difficulties, by the way. Um, yeah, they have they are back in the national spotlight um, after after winning these, these three straight games and kind of showing that um, they're a team to be reckoned with. And uh, you know their their offense is really humming right now. Uh, Jaron Hall is playing really well. Um, Tyler Algier is is like a running back for the ages, it seems like. And uh, yeah, they're playing they're playing really really well right now.
1: And Alex, tell us more about uh Algier, Tyler Algier, has almost twelve hundred yards rushing, is tied for the national lead in rushing touchdowns. I know a lot of years you think about BYU, you think about that passing attack, but they're one of the nation's best running teams right now.
4: Yeah, you, you hit it on the head. Um, you know, I was looking at some of the statistics today and, and was really um, surprised at just how how Big of I didn't realize that Algier had basically 1,200 rushing yards, um, and like you said, tied for the national lead, uh, lead and touchdowns with 17. Um, this team, I think, because of their wide receiving depth and because of Jaron Hall, I think they're kind of labeled as, as kind of like a you know an in the air team. But uh, Tyler Algier has really proven that you know if you give him the ball, he's going to get he's going to get yards on the ground, and he's going to break tackles and 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 really put a lot of pressure on on defensive lines um in college football so i I think that um he's super integral to byu's offense even as much as um as much as it does so well in the passing game um tyler agir is really is really the key there to, to that running offense
2: I mean, Zach Wilson, number two pick, and you know, uh, in the latest draft, you talk about a BYU team that got big-time postseason aspirations. Fourteenth, I think, right now in the college football playoff poll, if if they get some if they get some help and they uh, do win these next two games, being in the New Year's Six Bowl would definitely be a great uh, be a great end to a great season.
4: Yeah, you're right. Um, there, there's still an outside chance of of that New York, uh, uh, sorry, New Year's Six Bowl. Um, you know, they, they've they've got. A, a matchup here against Georgia Southern that you know is, is going to be interesting for them. They got USc right after that. Um, and they're going to need some help um, around the country. but this team I think is poised to to finish ten and two. I think that's a that's a very good um, prediction that people can make. and um, you know it'll be it'll be interesting what the you know what the decision makers decide in terms of where they're going to be in in the the goal conversation. but um this team really wants to make the the near six bowl and uh, i think if everything breaks right for them um, you know they're going to be there it's, it's very possible
0: you look at BYU as a uh, as a football program and as a uh, as a program and uh, really has have played tremendously well the last couple of years i believe uh, alex moving into the big 12 what is uh, a couple of seasons like that they've had kind of do for them going into a p5 conference once again
4: yeah i think i think that the way that they play this year, especially with the recent news that they're going to join the Big 12, like you said, I think it's really putting a lot of the the country, I, I think it's kind of opening a lot of the country's eyes to this team. You know, they, they've been independent for a while. Um, you know, they, they've had a couple, you know, this season's obviously a good season. Last year was a good season. Um, you know, others have been kind of hit or miss. But I think with the fact that they're joining a bigger conference, I think there's a lot of buzz, um, even more so than normal, uh, with this team right now, and um, I think uh, I'm not sure that you know the players or the coaches really think too much about it or even talk too much about wanting to prove to the country that they're deserving of the big twelve bid that's coming in the next couple years. But I think that's basically what's happening. I, I think that they're really proving uh, to the college football world that this is a team that is um, that is worthy of being in bigger conversations, um, and worthy of playing for a lot more than, uh, than they can as an independent.
1: In terms of this weekend, I know BYU has played a lot of teams with real dynamic passing attacks. Last couple of weeks, you've played you know, Virginia, Washington State, Baylor, Boise State. Georgia Southern's going to want to run the football a good bit. Has, has BYU seen many offenses like that that want to run the football the way Georgia Southern does?
4: Yeah, I think they've seen a couple of them. Um, you know the, but I think also BYU has done a pretty okay job that when when they face a running team, to to do whatever I mean, do as much as possible to mitigate the the running offense as much as as much as they can. Um, and I think what's going to be interesting is just how much they kind of diversify their defense in terms of not only. Well, not diversifying it, but but kind of shoring up the run, the run defense and really focusing in on that. And I think that the uh, the defensive coordinator is prepared for that. Um, and I think the way that they're going to kind of um, flip that is, you know, is with their passing offense. I think that it's going to be, I think it's going to be difficult for for Georgia Southern to to kind of deal with that passing offense, and that might be the difference in the game right there.
2: BYU traveled to Coastal Carolina a year ago. Obviously, that game got scheduled throughout the course of the week, and uh, I think it was one of their only losses of the year. How much has this BYU team understood, and not necessarily because they play another team in the Sun Belt, but making sure that you understand this Sun Belt Conference is one of the best conferences with some of the best teams, and even though this Georgia Southern team might not have a winning record, they're still a very, very dangerous bunch. Yeah, I think, you
4: know, all week – Everybody has been talking about how well Georgia Southern has been playing. They're definitely not taking Georgia Southern lightly in any in any way. Um, you know, Georgia Southern, yes, they've they've you know they don't have a winning record, but they are coming off a win. It is going to be their senior night, um, you know, so they're going to come ready to play and they're going to come with I'm assuming some hunger to to beat a to beat a ranked team in BYU. Um, but one of the things that BYU has definitely prided it, prided it itself on this season. Is being able to win games in any way they can. You know, either you know, they they win it pretty, they win it ugly. You know, they they extend drives or they, they have quick plays. They really have a lot of versatile ways to, to put points on the board or put points on the board, excuse me, and to play um, good enough defense. So um, I think what you're going to see is um, is a little bit of a chess match there, and um, and BYU is going to come ready to play just like Georgia Southern is.
0: Alex Vahar, Saint, uh, Saint uh, Salt Lake Tribune, excuse me, uh, joining us here on uh, 3 and Out. Uh, Alex, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much.
4: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Appreciate it. Uh, he joins us here on uh, 3 and Out as BYU, as he said, an independent right now coming into the Big 12 uh, here in the, uh, the not-too-distant future, really riding a, a lot of momentum and uh, again, B.J., uh, you talk about a, a team that's going to come in and put pressure on your defense. That's the Cougars uh, going to do that to, uh, to Georgia Southern. Really going to be important they get off the field and let their offense do work.
1: Yes, and you think about BYU last year, of course. It's, it's Zach Wilson who was drafted, what, number two overall by the Jets. And you do have Jaron Hall. You are going to be able to throw the football clearly. But I'm looking at this running back, Kevin, Tyler Algier, Ben, uh, has, again, 1,167 yards. How about against Virginia? And that's a team out of the ACC. He carried the ball 29 times for 266 yards and five touchdowns. So, for that Georgia Southern defense, Algier may be the player to slow down on Saturday.
2: I mean, if anybody's built a stop to stop the run, I would think it would be that Georgia Southern defense. But, BJ, I, that's why I do radio and I sit here and analyze it. <laughs> Hey, but it should be a good game. I think Georgia Southern, you know, just like last year with Coastal Carolina, they want to get a big win against a big program like BYU. And obviously, you know, just keep that momentum going into this offseason.
0: We've got more to come here on 3 and out. Speaking of momentum going into the offseason, a lot of coaching changes uh, that are out there. People want to carry that uh, with a big hire and maybe a a contract extension. A lot of that coaching news out there. We'll get to that when we come back here on 3 and out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you here, three and out. A lot of uh, coaching talk. Here's where come down the stretch, job openings, et cetera, uh, that are out there. And certainly, we talked about creating momentum with a coaching hire, and certainly wanted to stay on top of it as far as recruiting. Mel Tucker has been a hot name. I know people talked about it with uh, the LSU job, uh, BJ and Ben, and uh, he was asked on the Draymond Green Show. He, he said, I made it clear in my initial press conference that I thought Michigan State was a destination job and not a stepping stone. It was never my intention to come here and just pass through. I believe we're building something special here. Have tremendous support here to do that, and we're on the right track. Which you would say, that is a beautiful thing to say, Uh, Coach. We love that you love it here. We believe you. We believe LSU is not calling for you, beating down the door. And we believe you want to be here so much that, reportedly, we're going to offer you a 10-year, $95 million extension because we don't think you're going anywhere, i.e., we better wrap him up uh, because... uh, Yes, I, again, certain guys, and I think Mel Tucker is kind of a Big Ten area guy, grew up in the uh, kind of the upper Midwest there, but reportedly from the uh, Detroit Free Press, Michigan State going to offer him a decade extension worth $9.5 million a season. Obviously, they don't want him going anywhere, uh, so you're getting not only the a lot of big jobs open, BJ and Ben, but now you play the reaction game of, I don't want one of those big names to come a-calling, kind of like Texas a and Say, hey, we're Texas A&M. We gave you big Jack, Jimbo, but LSU's out there with that opening. Maybe we'll just tack on another year or two, give you some more money. That's obviously a big stay for, for Michigan State if they can keep Mel Tucker from going elsewhere. Obviously, he is a hot commodity in the coaching ranks right now.
1: Yes, and what, a couple of days ago, there were a lot of rumors about, hey, LSU and Mel Tucker. I mean, you think about... Uh, you know, Mel Tucker, an incredible resume, I believe, was the interim head coach of the Chicago Bears and the Jacksonville Jaguars, in addition to being defensive coordinator and has has had you know, great success at Georgia. You think about uh, working with Nick Saban at Michigan State. I believe that I believe, Mel Tucker, you talked about being from the Midwest. I believe he played at Wisconsin. Uh, but it's had great success collegiately, professionally. And if, if, if this comes to fruition, I think that'll be the new, the new standard for contracts, right? I mean, Ben, if you're, everybody was saying, okay, when Jimbo got his, however long it was deal, that's going to be the new contract that people use to negotiate the next wave of contracts. And I think if you see what almost a hundred million dollars come to fruition, that'll be the new standard. But Mel Tucker, a, a a a big time head coach, a great resume, a lot of programs want him, and I think Michigan State with this move is saying, "Yep, yeah, we want him here. We really want him here, and we want him here for a long time with that contract."
2: The Big Ten is showing you that they got money to spend. I mean, think about what think about what a uh, Jimbo got his contract, BJ, based off the fact that he had already won a national championship at Florida State. Coach O got his contract after that 2019 season. Dabo Sweeney had to bring Clemson out of the dark ages to make them one of the premier schools in the country, and obviously Nick Saban is Nick Saban. But well, people start saying, hey, man, what solidifies a big brand? Bread, cheese, ducats, <laughs> greenbacks. Now, what do you mean when I can give a coach 10 years, $95 million to not leave? Think about this. No, no. This ain't because he's going to win a natty. This is because he's playing, coaching really, really well. Think about Coach Mel Tucker, though, BJ, if he really put it, you know, if he really put it in perspective. He was a defensive coordinator of Georgia. He goes to Colorado. Before he can even look at a house, his phone ring. Hey, man, you want to come to Michigan State? Man, I'm committed to be at Colorado. Five million. Oh, we'll be there in the morning, right? <laughs> then, then, then he's at Michigan State balling. He's doing essentially what John Franklin is supposed to be doing at Penn State, what Coach Harbaugh is supposed to be doing at Michigan. Obviously, Coach Day and what they do at Ohio State, is, you know, that is, that is the barometer. Now, within what? A three-year span, he went from $3 million to $5 million, to 10 years, $95 million. So now that's putting pressure on other. It's not like they ain't got big-name coach. Coach Dan Harbaugh and Coach Franklin making big money. But that's what happens when your name just come up in a coaching search. So now when people start saying, man, reshaping it, D- Dab, I mean, Jimbo reshaped it. Now you got Mel Tucker. And Dabo, I mean, Dabo better be lucky. He signed his contract when they was balling because he wouldn't be getting there right, yeah. right about now. And Nick Saban. Was probably gonna get yeah, another Nick, contract want, before, want, before, Nick Nick wants Nick wants ninety five yeah, yeah, point before, one. Before yeah. the end of the day, <laughs> Nick Saban will be like you know eleven years, you know a hundred, you know ninety nine <laughs> or whatever. But shout out to Mel Tucker, he is the highest paid, uh, potentially the highest paid African American coach in college football history. I'm super duper happy for him. And once again, Kevin, of course, you don't even got to coach me on the press conference when you finna give me. Well, I already told y'all. Hold on, hold on for a second. It, it, they gonna do it, okay. I already told y'all that I'm committed to Michigan State. I'm not here. When well, you said that in Colorado, we ain't talking about that. <laughs> we talking I about. I really him. wanted to I, be I, here. I, and, and I know, and obviously, you know, you got other guys like Bill O'Brien, like Lane Kiffin. But I tell y'all this all the time, BJ. The only thing that resonates with coaches is the money. I don't care about prestige, building a program. 95 million. You know what? You know what? Do I think it's gonna be there for ten years? Probably not. But it's the $95 million, it's the perception of it, and it's that buyout. Right now, that buyout is probably serious. But shot the middle Tucker, man, yeah. it is good to be a Tucker right now. Yeah, especially with that uh, report yes. out there.
0: Uh, some other quick reports uh, out there as well. Andy Slater, Fox Sports 640 in South Florida. Mind you, the job isn't open yet. But he reports a quote. Lane Kiffin would leave Ole Miss for the University of Miami if the Hurricanes... Head coaching job were to open multiple sources close to Kiffin. Tell me, end quote. That is from Andy Slater. And people's initial reaction to that, BJ Bennis, Ben, is you're in the SEC. Ole Miss or Miami? uh Yes. South Beach or Oxford? Hard to win? Right now, not as hard to win. Recruiting in the state of Mississippi? Recruiting South Florida. Money? More money. like, like I mean, and Again, yeah, I think right now, I mean, it, it, again, that's an amazing report. But Lane Kiffin was just in Boca Raton not that long ago. A lot of nice houses there in Boca Raton. Not that far off from Coral Gables. I I, I don't know why people should be shocked by this. It's, uh, it's still, whether or not the current crop of coaches or, or the last couple have done a good job of doing it, there are still athletes everywhere in South Florida, you could put together a contender and not get north of I-4. I mean, it, it, it's it's amazing uh, what they can do, BJ. I, to me, I don't know why people would be shocked like by this by saying he wants to leave the SEC. Well, I mean, did you see what happened to a dude that just won a national championship two years ago? How hard is it going to be? And Oklahoma and Texas are coming in? Or I can go try to beat Virginia Tech and and Duke and Pitt. And they're probably yeah, going to pay I, me. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, yeah. just, it's it, to me, it's it's a, it's a no-brainer.
1: I don't think it would be surprising at all. Now, the original point you made is a key one. Miami currently has a head football coach, and they play Virginia Tech on Saturday to try to get bowl eligible. So you don't know. Of course, Miami has a change at athletic director. I think that was announced a couple of days ago. But that would be one of those kind of seismic shifts in college football, because Miami's still one of the great programs in the history of the game. You're right. People might look at it and go, "Yeah, you haven't been nationally relevant in a couple of years." Well, you're still the U. Okay, it's still Miami. But if Lane Kiffin goes to Miami, big if. Again, Miami still has still has Manny Diaz there as head coach. Uh, you'd have an opening all of a sudden in the SEC at a program that right now I believe is in the national top 15. So, what would that mean? Who would be the candidate there? So. That would be huge news on the college football front, but that report there—I mean, I'm with you, Kevin. Ben, I'm—I'm I'm sure you're the same way. That I did not find that and uh, or read that and feel surprised. I read that and thought, yeah, that would that would make sense.
2: Lane Kiffin wants to be one of the coaches, not just a coach. Right now, he's a coach in the SEC. He's not one of the coaches in the SEC. If he goes to Miami, number one, Kevin said it. Man, this is about location. He wants to have Italian restaurants that have different names, not an Italian restaurant called the Italian restaurant in Stark Vegas. I, I mean, I'm sorry, I keep on saying Stark, in Oxford. So for me, BJ, yes. When you think about a guy like Lane Kiffin, think about what he has. He has South Florida ties. He was at FAU. He knows the landscape. And you know what he was saying at FAU? You know who he was losing recruits to? Miami. Hey, man. Well, you know, and listen, when he got to say, hey, if Miami, Uh, decide to not, you know, if you don't sign they come over here. Now, B.J., think about this. What sounds better? The new head coach, you know, for the Miami Hurricanes, Manny Diaz. Woo! Now, the new head coach (laughs) of the Miami Hurricanes, Lane Kiffin, that makes him a contender. Look at what Mack Brown did for the reputation of North Carolina, right? Look at what, you know, uh, I mean, look at what, you know, uh, Dabo Sweeney did for the reputation of Clemson. You know, so now I think – and I like the fact he's saying, look, I love y'all, but this is what he's really saying. (coughs) There's a guy by the name of Matt Corral. He's about to get the hell out of college. He's about to be gone. And he is tailor-made for what Lane Kiffin does. But something Kevin said, I need a quarterback. I can close my eyes and point in Florida. I got to go find dudes in Mississippi, and I might lose that guy to Mississippi State. So for him – and BJ, fact this in Jackson State is pulling guys too now because of what Prime is doing. I want to go to Miami. And for those who don't know what I four is, that is a connector between Orlando and Tampa. I just I know a little bit about I four in, in and <laughs> you know in Florida. But yes, Lane Kiffin is saying, Will you give me Miami? You give me that prestige, you give me A Reed. Oh, I can get him. So, yes, Lane Kiffin is a no-brainer. He's trying to get back to good weather year yep. round, not I think it snows in Oxford. He ain't used to that nonsense. And the fact that this even came out tells you
0: all you need to know about Manny Diaz and where he sits right now, right? Why would a report come out? Well, if, if the Miami job hypothetically were open, Lane would probably go there. Well, why does that come out? Because Lane wants to go there, and the job is probably going to be open, right? I mean, that's the only reason that kind of stuff uh, gets put out there uh, in the uh, in kind of the cosmos, uh, if you will. We've got so much more to get to uh, here on 3, and that will get you an update from the RSM Classic. Lawton Swan, Clemson Sports Talk will join us, Clemson and Wake Forest. Coming up this weekend, if Wake Forest wins, I believe that does it for them. That gets them in the ACC uh, championship game. Also, Autry Denson, former Notre Dame running back, will join us. Now head coach at Charleston Southern, who, oh, by the way, play Georgia this weekend. We'll hear from him coming up in the final hour of the program. This is 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
5: Hello, this is Chris Hatcher, head coach of the Sanford University Bulldogs, and you're listening to Three and Out with BJ, Ben, and Kevin. Three
0: and Out on this Thursday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Sebastian Munoz, your leader there at the RSM Classic on St. Simons Island as the PJ Tour along the coast. Zach Johnson one shot off the pace at minus nine and amongst a host of guys as uh, you have the first round now completed and I believe just uh, 13, I think only 13 rounds over par out of the 155 uh, who are uh, who were playing this week. So uh, pretty good scores here day number one. We'll see what uh, day number two holds and again a lot of uh, guys who are from the coast or call St. Simon's home in it. Uh, Brian Harmon, Davis love the third minus four. So six shots off the pace, but given some of the scores today, <laughs> a good round tomorrow, you might, might be, it might be right there in the thick of things.
1: Sorry, my computer froze. Yes,
0: <laughs> Kevin. I agree. Yes,
1: I agree with you. Yeah. Low scores. Uh, they're at 10 under for Munoz, Scott Stallings, uh, Zach Johnson, a couple of others at nine under, but it'll be interesting to see just how low these scores get. I mean, in terms of uh, contending for a win on Sunday, to see a around 160 and a couple of 61s, 62s, 63s, really impressive. So guys reading the course, playing the course well.
2: Is it's, it's, it's a game of sustainability, right, Kevin? I mean, listen, it's not how good you start. Can you sustain that momentum? Because I'd rather be a guy that kind of creep up the leaderboard as it goes. I don't want to start – You know, top of the board and then just fizzle out uh, towards the end. But that's why I do that. Listen, that's why I do radio. I can talk about what golf is. I cannot do it at all. You would rather be the (laughs) chasey,
0: not the chased, is uh, basically uh, uh, the way it it works out in that scenario. we got so much to get to coming up. Final hour of the program. Falcons and Patriots tonight. How can the Falcons uh, get this done? We'll also talk with Lawton Swan, Clemson Sports Talk, and Autry Denson, head coach at Charleston Southern, joins us the final hour. They are going to the ACC championship game uh, representing the Atlantic Division. That would give Clemson four losses uh, on the season after they were a preseason college football playoff pick. Uh, there by a lot of folks. Autry Denson will also join us here in our number 3 Charleston Southern head coach, former Notre Dame running back. I believe left Notre Dame as their all-time leading rusher with over 4,300 yards and 48 touchdowns. Uh, He is the head football coach of the Charleston Southern Buccaneers, who, oh, by the way, play the number 1 team in the land, the Georgia Bulldogs, uh, coming up this weekend. So we'll hear from Autry in just a little bit. But the Falcons and Patriots coming up tonight. Patriots playing really good football. Falcons, well, they... Not so much. They're coming off a 43-3, whipping at the hands of the Cowboys. They're 29th in rushing, fellas. We've obviously uh, beaten to death where they stand defensively in a lot of categories. What can they do to try to win tonight against New England? They have not won in Mercedes-Benz this season. It's been in London or on the road. What can they do to slow down Mac Jones and the Patriots,
1: I think you have to attack the rookie quarterback. And Ben, you obviously know better than me, but I, I think you, 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 you pressure Mac Jones. You diversify your looks. You're unpredictable with your skin. What they haven't what? pressured anybody all year long. I'm
4: just right. Saying. But-
1: no, but this is what I'm saying. I understand that it they've sounds been like bad a, yeah, you got to pressure the quarterback. Well, they haven't pressured any quarterback. Okay, well, Kevin, you asked me what do they need to do to win. <laughs> okay, they need to not run the football. They need to continue to not get
0: interceptions Can I and not pressure the quarterback. Can I quote? Let's talk about real things. Like, well, hey, we want to pressure the quarterback. Well, you can't you're, do that. You, no, you do, you're you, asking you, me what, what they have to do.
1: I think you're going to have to, even at the risk of getting burnt or beat deep, because to your point, That would not be anything new given what we saw last weekend where you gave up 43 points. I think you bring an extra pass rusher, and if that means there's more open space in the field, that's the reality of the situation. What I'm getting at here is you're facing a rookie quarterback, and Matt Jones has been really good, and Bill Belichick's there, and they're red hot. But he also hasn't been in many games like that. I mean, many games, period, at the professional level. But you're you're the game – Prime time, everybody's watching. I think you're on the road. You have to try to bring it to Mac. And I don't I don't know that that necessarily means, Kevin, you're going to be successful or productive. You're last in the league in sacks. You're second to last in interceptions. But if you're going to win this game, you're going to have to have some big plays on that side of the ball. And, Ben, you've talked about the – John Jones a couple of times. Is this track? Do you send him and say, Dion? instead of kind of letting the game come to you, come to us, you're going to go after Mac. You're going to blitz, you know, eight to ten times tonight. You're going to be used as someone who attacks the offensive backfield. Do you bring a couple of safeties down, maybe a, uh, you know, a, a third corner from time to time and take risks? I think you have to do that because if you just do the same old, same old, I think uh, Dave Choate said earlier in the show, the Falcons are about middle of the pack in terms of how often they blitz. Well, that's not working. So I think if you get beat deep, you can deal with that. You can adjust to that potentially. But I think you have to try, keyword try, Kevin Thomas, I agree, to pressure Mac Jones to force the Patriots to respond. Don't let them dictate tempo in your house tonight.
2: You got you to gotta confuse Mac Jones. Mac Jones is really, really good at going through his reads right now, so you got to take away his first reads. And his first reason, Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry, you got to take away those tight ends, force them to beat you on the outside, which I think favors the Falcons because A.J. Terrell, I mean, on a bad defense, he's really, really good. He's all, I mean, he's, he's playing a lead. I think the only cornerback that's out playing it right now is Jalen Ramsey of the Rams. So, I just think for me, B.J., yes, you're going to have to not be yourself. Coach, just say that. Do, listen, be somebody different tonight. What you mean, Coach? Like, rush the passer. <laughs> we haven't been doing it. Rush them. Make the – listen – Make, for, for, force Mac Jones off his spot, force Mac Jones to have to readjust, force Mac Jones to have to readjust his feet, uh, shorter uh, or shorter, uh, tighter uh, throwing lanes, and stop the run. Like, the thing about football is update your resume. You know what I'm saying? Current, you have to update it when you're playing. Mac Jones is not playing like a rookie. Josh McDaniels is doing an incredible job putting Mac Jones in a position to where his skill set can go out. He has a, he, he has a pretty deep ball. He can, he can definitely go through his reads, but make him look like what he is. A rookie. If you are, oh my God, if you are the if you are uh, Atlanta's offense, you gotta get creative. BJ, something you talked about earlier in the week that I think is not talked about enough. The screen game, the quick passing game. Kyle Pitts, move him around. Put him, try to force him in one-on-one situations. Trust your arm. Win some 50-50 balls. We're not saying anything. We are preaching to the choir. Atlanta, you are a professional. Franchise. You have an MVP quarterback in in Matty Ice. Deion Jones, Grady Jared. You know, I mean, when you look at it, when you look at Dante Fowler Jr., you guys are the veterans of this team. Lead the team. Retool the offensive line. Don't care. Go out there and get it done because at a certain point, it's not who you're playing. It's you. Because this is the same Falcons team that has dominated teams this year, and it's the same Falcons team that's gotten dominated. Who are you? You're both. Make up in your mind. I'm gonna win my individual matchups. I'm gonna whoa, force Mac Jones just on defense to go through his ring. Just huh? out of curiosity, when when were the games that Atlanta was dominating? Just well, 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 maybe, 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 maybe not. Maybe not recently, BJ. But I'm, but I'm talking about maybe something. maybe
0: not recently. I'm no, talking,
2: about, I'm talking about something else. Okay, if we want to do that, if we want to do that. You know, <clears throat> we talk about Matty Ice, right? The one thing Matty Ice does is he keeps everybody ahead of schedule. He's making sure that when the, when the, when the, when the center calls out the protection, he's calling the right way. He's making sure guys are being lined up. But Matty Ice has been doing that from opening day. Matty Ice, two things. He doesn't get hurt. He's going to give you all he got. That's one guy. That's one guy. I mean, Cordell Patterson, and I hope I'm saying his name right, if he can't play, that puts pressure on two no-name receivers. B.J. I mean, I'm just saying. When you start thinking about this Falcons team, they don't lack talent. They lack execution. You gotta execute, execute, anticipate, finish, focus. All these little, these little cheesy little things that you see walk around uh, the Tennessee Titans uh, facility. It's it's true. They'll say, why do we tell you to focus? Focus on the situation. Why do we tell you to anticipate? That's the blitz. Why do we tell you to execute? That's the play. Why do we tell you to finish? That's during the play and after the play. So all those things that was cheesy, that is football. The problem is they don't do any of them. They don't focus. They don't anticipate. They don't execute. And they show us, hell, don't finish. (laughs) So I think right now, if you're in Atlanta, this is looking in that mirror saying, hey, dude, do you like what you see in that mirror? Or you just like how you look because you know you look nice before the game. Go out there and execute because at a certain point, Kevin, Atlanta is not just another team in the league. I'm sorry, but they aren't. They're a team that matters. You know why? Because when you don't matter, no one cares. No one talks about you. We're not We're not paid beat writers to talk about Atlanta because we live there. It's, I, 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 I get that people do that, but we are being honest. At a certain point, Kyle Pitts going to have a bunch of stats that don't mean nothing. He's going to go to the Pro Bowl and people are going to say, hey, dude, you was good yeah, on a real bad team. You know who did that? A bunch of players. I got guys that I talk to now, man, when I played, who cares? Like, who cares, okay? You're married with four kids. Go over there and do that. I don't want to talk about the yesteryears, but right now the Falcons don't play as good as they could, and it ain't Arthur Smith part. It ain't Arthur Smith fault. I get sick of that. Arthur Smith calls plays. Players make plays. Arthur Smith set the expectation. The players drive the expectation. If you don't know what your job responsibility is, don't take your behind out there tonight because everybody will be watching. And if you get beat tonight, Kevin and BJ, it's not going to be because of me. Mac Jones, no Mac Jones should look like a rookie. We shouldn't be saying who's the rookie tonight. When which one is Mac Jones for the red team or the blue team? He plays on the blue team, that is New England. But if they are asking who is who, it's probably real bad. And if we look up, if we look up this uh, tomorrow, and it's 37 to 10. We're gonna to have to come in here on next week and lie to ourselves <laughs> again. Like this Falcons team gives us anything to look forward to in the future. Come on, man, get a win and and everything else to take care of itself. I am off my soapbox. I was I gonna say I'm. I'm, just, I'm ready. I'm ready now, Kevin. I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm I, just I, saying I mean, I'm ready to go. This, but listen, this, this man. No, BJ, this man. is this more man. of this. You know, grew up a Falcons fan, man. So I, I get I get tired of the fake optimism, man. Them Falcons, they look good, don't they? What Falcons? The Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> Cause there's a lot of Falcons teams in the state of Georgia. You talking about? I mean, Georgia high school football is going on in the playoffs. Their team ain't the. I'm just saying. Listen, call it with it, BJ. I'm gonna just say this: if this was a team you root for in college, and I came in with an optimism, you hit me with that, dude. Don't come with that. All okay, I'm but this is what I'm is, saying. They're on. It, it's, it's Thursday night. It's prime
1: time. You're coming off of a 43 to three loss, one of the worst losses in the history the of the organization. You. Okay. You have a chance to step up and play well in front of the whole league and and they're wearing the throwback uniforms. The uniforms that should be that should be their regular, everyday, all the time
0: (laughs) uniforms. No, I'm just saying, you gotta look good tonight. When you get when you start going with the throwback, sometimes that just reeks of hey. Maybe if we you know get everybody excited about wearing the throwbacks,
2: they won't notice how bad. Yeah, we're do yeah, yeah, I don't want the throwbacks to become throwaways. No, I, I I want no, them to look good. They, I they, think they, you know.
0: Again, the Falcons have the ability to play better than they have. But yes. again, BJ, you show, uh, you showed you said something earlier in the show where it was look, the Falcons haven't won a game by more than one score in their last what fourteen. Wow, more more than seven points. Yeah, so, last fourteen games they have and, not and, won and a that single is very, game
1: by very more do.
0: than seven. So again, you're not you're not ever going out. And, and again, I know it's hard to win the National Football League, but when you can't, when you never win by more than seven, I mean, every once in a while you would think, hey, the matchup's in our way, we're going to win by 10, ten, fifteen, uh, maybe fourteen points, uh, and, and and get a win. They haven't been able to do that. I know their defense isn't up to snuff, but. Uh, that's why I kind of had to choke early. And we're like, "Hey, you got to get after the quarterback." Uh, well, who? Uh, because that's been something we've talked about for over a decade with this football team. And again, this year, almost last is sacks down near the bottom. In interceptions, tackles for loss down near the bottom. I mean, and again, it's one thing to, to say those things. Hey, we got to get after the quarterback. Well, no kidding. I mean, I, I don't care who it is. You got to get get after him at this point. The the way you come up with a pass. I just don't know when you're playing a hot team. Say, hey. Our first goal is get after the quarterback. I think your first goal should just be get off the field.
4: Come on, like I'm just Please. saying, like like
0: before before get b- off the field before before we worry about getting sacks. How about we just get off the field on third down? I know I sound like a guy's like just give me some, but I mean you, you got to start with the small victories. You're dead last to sacks. You don't go from. Dead last in Like we're gonna get after the quarterback tonight, really? Because you've had nine previous games where it you it didn't get after the quarterback. Put it on
2: tape. <laughs> so, Put it on tape. Put it on tape. It's a pride thing. I mean, bottom line is a pride thing, and I'm just saying, I got too many. I got too many former teammates of mine that's that's fan fake fans of some of these teams right here. I was I'm a I'm a born and raised Atlanta Falcons fan. I'm a rep them no matter what. But some of y'all, be, be, you know, that people my like, man, Atlanta, they about to go back to the dark age. They said it might be like Detroit. I rebuke the boy. <laughs> Detroit? That'll never happen. But, yes, BJ, what you said, is starting out. They got to go out there and get after the quarterback. Kevin, get out the field. When you stick your – listen, when it's third down and you stick one fist up in the air, I want it to be because you got out the field. I don't want it to be a moment of solidarity for the defense. You got <laughs> off the field. Get off the field. And don't go out the field and say, dude, we really got off the field. Yeah. Like – they pay us. We practiced this, and we executed it when we when everybody's watching. As Kevin said, the test in football is the game. So far, you've been failing. Try to get it, Try to come out of this thing with a passing grade. Try to be one and zero after the night, because you get ten days to rest up until your next game. And that's probably more important. But getting back to five hundred, as
0: faint as that may seem, BJ keeps you in the playoff discussion. Believe it or not, as many things we've had to criticize this Falcons team about, a win tonight and. You still might have a great chance, but you are still in the playoff discussion with seven games uh, to go in the season. We've got so much to get to here in the final hour. we are here from Autry Denson, Charleston Southern head football coach, former Notre Dame running back. They've got Georgia uh, this weekend. And when we return, Lawton Swan, Clemson Sports Talk joins us. Clemson and Wake Forest in the Atlantic Division. A Wake Forest win. They're the champs. A loss. And the door is still cracked uh, there for Clemson in the ACC Atlantic Division. He'll join us next. Here on 3 and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out, on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, you've got a big win in the ACC Atlantic, Wake Forest, against uh, Clemson coming up this weekend. A Wake Forest win, and they are uh, Atlantic Division champions. A win by... The Tigers and they are still in it in uh, the ACC Atlantic and joining us here on the program from uh, Clemson Sports Talk Lawton Swan joins us here on the show Lawton welcome how are you
5: Dallas I'm doing good man glad to be on with y'all
0: I appreciate you coming on and uh, this certainly has not been the season that Clemson fans I think expected or really anybody else uh, preseason when you're talking about Clemson as a potential playoff uh, contender but this is a team that's obviously got to 7-3 and three on the strength of their defense and still a, a shot potentially to get to Charlotte still despite how the season's gone to this point.
5: Yeah, it, you know, it, it's sort of a backdoor option for them to get
0: And we may have lost uh, Lawton there. Lawton, are you still with us? Yeah, I'm with For some reason, we're having you cutting in and out. We'll try to call you back here real quick uh, in on the program. But yeah, Clemson still uh, again, BJ. I think people the way we talk about Clemson, it's it's like you would think they were five and five, and or maybe like four and six or something. The way the way we talk about Clemson uh, at the end of the day. But again, they're seven and three. They just have not played well at all on the offensive side of the football.
1: Yeah, that's where all of the struggles have been. And and if you think about Clemson potentially winning out their last three games, right? Let's say they beat Wake Forest. That's going to be tough. Wake Forest in the top ten. You beat South Carolina and you win your bowl game. They're still at ten wins. So this has not been uh, you know, a, a vintage Clemson season for a team that has made, what, six consecutive college football playoff appearances. And that's not going to happen this year. But they're not terrible. They're not even average. I mean, if they win this weekend, they'll be back in the top 25. They're a pretty good team. Now, why it's so fascinating and so frustrating at the same time for Clemson fans is Clemson is probably top 10 when you look at all the defensive stats together on that side of the ball. But they're last, been in the ACC in total offense. They're last. They have the worst offense in the ACC. They're in the 100s. Uh, so I think that 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 Clemson has been a – Tale of two teams, offensively, defensively. I think if they can make it a low-scoring game against Wake Forest, they have a chance to win this game. If it's a back-and-forth 45-38 game, that's where it might be tough.
0: I believe we have a Lawton Swan back uh, here with us. Lawton, uh, again, appreciate you coming back. Uh, again, this Clemson team still an outside chance uh, despite how this season has gone.
5: Yeah, I, I was saying, you know, I think it's kind of like being the guy in last place on Jeopardy, right? you got to get yourself a chance. And that's really where I think Clemson is. They got to they got to win this game to keep hopes alive. And you got to hope that a couple of guys in front of you miss the final Jeopardy question. So that's the way it is. But you get to, you, you get to keep yourself alive uh, if you can shut down this weight force offense and then find a way conversely to put up enough points to win the ball game.
1: A lot. I mean, a lot of people, especially a couple of weeks ago, were looking at Clemson talking as if they're this really bad football team, and here they are at seven and three, a chance to get to ten wins. Does it say something about Clemson that you've had, quite frankly, one of the best offenses, or excuse me, one of the worst? All, but you're still probably going to finish nationally ranked, and you still could get to ten wins. I think so. I mean, Dave
5: Clawson said he thought this was Dabo Sweeney's best coaching job, just given the fact that Clemson didn't let things go off the rails. And I mean, they've had a ton of injuries, and you know, I'm still kind of shocked at sometimes, at some points, because people, you'll you'll hear this a lot, they'll say, "Well, Clemson, or excuse me, nobody's played well against Georgia, nobody's competed against Georgia," and they just dismissed that opener that Clemson had and the way that game went. And I think, you know, you go back to that ball game and now we find out that Justin Ross was indeed injured and there were some rumors about the potential injury going into that game and the first two games of the season where Wendabo when he said uh, this hairline fracture, you know, was bothering him. And he was the guy that was responsible on that pick six for not crossing the face of the defender for the Georgia Bulldogs and ended up returning it for the game-winning touchdown. So, you know, I go back and think, man, what if Justin Ross is healthy? Does he... Absorb that hit? Does it go across the face? Does Clemson find a way to win that game? They were in field goal range at that point. If you win that game, how does your season play out? I, I don't know, but I think the seven sacks that Clemson took in that game really set them back. I think it's certainly been in between DJ Uiungulele's ears all year, and uh, I think that's been a big part of the reason you've seen this team struggle. But to keep them, you know, in contention, I think does say something about this group and. Uh, They still have a chance to to finish out the final five games of the season uh, undefeated. And if they're fortunate, maybe find their way into an ACC championship game. And then ultimately, uh, if you win that, you're playing in one of the big six bowl games. And what's a, quote, down year.
2: And, Lon, I mean, I was going to say that. I mean, when you think about Clemson and what they've had to endure the last four or five years, uh, not just being one of the best teams in the country, but – leading the way in the ACC, is, are they just showing the fact that, look, man, sometimes you just run out of gas, not necessarily because of the talent level there, but it's hard to maintain that level, you know, of excellence that they've had because we've just grown to know that them just pilting them in before the season, they're going to be one of the last four teams, and when they lost against Georgia and they showed that, hey, man, they can be beat, people kind of like, you know, forgot about Clemson, is this just one of those years? or Because people don't expect this to be the norm moving forward, right?
5: No, I don't think so, and and I do think that the way that DJ played, more specifically against Notre Dame a year ago, probably created a false sense of security and a false sense of uh, where he was in his development. And and I think what you see is that when you lose the number one overall pick in the NFL draft at quarterback, in the spot that touches the football on every play, that's hard to absorb. Not to mention losing the all-time leading running back in the history of the Atlantic Coast Conference and. Have a CTN. So, I, I think from that standpoint, there was this kind of, uh, uh, I don't know if it would be a blind hope or maybe just sort of the recognition of what you saw that DJ was going to play well, and it, it just hadn't happened. And I think the pressure, too, is the other thing. Like, once it starts to go south and you're young and you're DJ, uh, I know when I was a sophomore in college, I would not have wanted to be the guy on the number one team or one of the top five teams in the country. Uh, immediately I, i'd like a little more time to mature and i think that might be some of what you've run into as well just the fact that he is young he's still learning and he certainly made his fair share of mistakes but the injury bug hasn't helped him either and, and they've been awfully banged up
0: lawton swan here on three and out from clemson sports talk they've got wake forest this weekend and what do you see in wake forest i know when you say Wake Forest, something comes to mind, and then you watch them play, and they're really good uh, offensively. should be quite the showdown between that Wake Forest offense and the Clemson defense this weekend.
5: Yeah, I think about Dave Clawson and the fact that a year ago, with his wife being a cancer survivor with COVID-19 uh, in the states and it was, you know, just kind of in the, the situation it was in without a potential vaccine out there and, and the way we were having to live at that time, you know, he isolated from his wife. He was away from his wife, I think, the entire season because of that. And so it's hard not to root for him in this story. Because Wake Forest is one of those teams that's not your traditional contenders. I mean, when Riley Skinner was there and lead them to the Orange Bowl, I mean, they're a team that's kind of fun to get behind because they're, they're like a butler in the NCAA tournament, maybe even a Gonzaga before the Zags were one of the top teams in all the land. It's kind of like, hey, look at these guys and what they're doing. And so, you know, from that standpoint, I think they're going to have that push behind them uh, in the sense that people are going to be rooting for them. Uh, not the people in Death Valley. <laughs> the people across the country are going to be kind of rooting to see the underdog, Wake Forest. And that's what's probably most surprising is there's still, you know, four-and-a-half-point underdogs to this Clemson team. Uh, but I like Sam Hartman. He knows the offense. Dabo Sweeney's kind of compared him to James Skolsky, Clemson's star linebacker, uh, simply because he knows you're not going to throw something at him is going to be uncomfortable with. And then uh, they do a really good job with the the mesh point on their RPO plays and and really slowing things down. I think if Clemson's defense can control the line of scrimmage, push that back a little bit, maybe make uh, Wake Forest speed things up, that would play in the Tigers' favor. Uh, But I can tell you it's going to be a tough one because uh, this Demon Deacon team, they're they're sound, they're disciplined, and uh, they put up a lot of points. The problem they have is they give up a lot of points. Uh, and we'll see if Clemson's offense can finally uh, have that seminal moment where they they come to life because uh, it really has been tough to watch this team offensively in Tigertown all year.
2: Lon, how much how much of that is just DJU just trying to do too much. I understand when you talk about what he's and coming behind guys you know like Trevor Lawrence, like Kelly Bryant, like Deshaun Watson. I mean. That quarterback position at Clemson has been elevated at a level that's it's very, very hard to try to like you know fill those shoes. How much of it, is it just him just saying, look, I'm at Clemson, I'm DJU, I'm a California kid that came across the country to play football, and I'm trying to live up to these to this standard, and sometimes it's just not happening this year.
5: Yeah, I think there's there's something to that. I I do like when you're interviewing him, I kind of go, oh man, this guy. Like I'm not somebody that would like label somebody like where they're from. But, man, he is so West Coast. I mean, when you're interviewing him, he can have a terrible game. He's got a a little uh, smoothie and a straw. He's just enjoying life. And I want to see a guy with a little more edge. Like, I know Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson were kind of considered to be cool, but I don't think anybody thought they were uh, laissez-faire or too laid back. So, I think there might be some of that for D.J. at this point, just trying to accept that role and and what it takes. But you're right. I I mean, the expectations uh, of that position – not just at Clemson, but collegiately kind of fall in line with the expectations of being the star quarterback at this and say, Oklahoma or maybe even Alabama. I mean, you're supposed to be the straw that serves the drink, not just on your campus, but in all of college football. And I do wonder, too, if there's uh, some pressure that's kind of fallen on the shoulders of these young men who got pretty substantial NIL deals. And we don't know how big DJ's deal was with, with Bojangles and with Dr. Pepper. But I, I do wonder you know, if there is something to that as well for these guys, uh, just from the pressure of knowing that the other players around you don't have that type of access to uh, financial benefits and the fact that you also know that you might not have it next year. So let's say DJ signed a six-figure deal with Dr. Pepper, and I don't know if that's what it was, but let's assume it was. And you gotta, you got to perform. Or Dr. Pepper's probably – I mean, I, I wouldn't imagine that he got a multi-year deal So from that standpoint, there's probably a high level of pressure for these guys to perform because they don't want that money coming in next season either.
0: Yeah, something to certainly watch, as you said, across uh, college football. Lawton, Swan, Clemson Sports Talk, our guest here on 3 and Out. Lawton, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey,
5: guys, keep crushing it. Always appreciate you.
0: Hey, we appreciate it. Uh, Lawton Swan joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll step aside. Autry Denson, former running back at Notre Dame, uh, left his all-time leading rusher, 4,318 yards, 48 touchdowns with the Fighting Irish. He's now the head coach at Charleston Southern. They, of course, have Georgia coming up at noon on Saturday. We'll hear from him next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.